Mark chapter number 12 and verse number 35. And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. And David therefore himself calleth him Lord. And whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, this morning, Lord, help us to have our hearts open. To know the truth. To apply the truth. Lord, in a day where there seems to be a lack of truth, help us to know it and to tell it. Lord, I pray you give us a great service now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jesus, in this portion of Scripture, we've been looking at Mark for a while now, and this portion of Scripture, he is, this is his last week. You know, often referred to as the Passion Week. And the Lord is making his way to the cross. This passage finds Jesus still in the temple teaching the Word of God. Uh, the scribes, the Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, we have looked at them already. They have been trying to discredit Jesus in the eyes of the people or get him in trouble with the government, the Roman government. And uh, we had looked at all the questions already, and all of them were brought designed, except for the last one where the man, the scribe, was asking a serious question. All the other ones were asked in a way that they would entrap the Lord, thus making him look, you know, uh, uh, you know, to bring him down a notch or two, uh, and to get him in trouble with the authorities, and make you know make ammunition as such for those guys against him. And every time the Lord turned the tables, these guys thought they had it all figured out, but Jesus turns it on them and says, "Hey, this is what the deal is," and they flee. And in this situation here, in these verses, Jesus is really going on the offensive. If you want to use that term, he's the one asking the questions. And it's a question about identity, about who is Jesus. And uh, that question in that day, the verses that we just read, it's still applicable for today because the world needs to know who Jesus is, amen? In our world today, in our region today, in our city today, people need to know who Jesus is. It is it's more important than anything else you're going to talk about. Who's Jesus? And what is He? And what has He done? So we see there's a confrontation as such here. Uh, Jesus had already been confronted by the, you know, the Pharisees and uh, Sadducees and others. Herodians were involved. He counted all their attacks. First was about tribute money to Caesar. That was found in this chapter 13 to 17. Then he answered about the resurrection and, and the life in heaven. Uh, that was the Sadducees bringing to them that question. Uh, and then one of the scribes came asking which was the greatest of the commandments. And each time, the questions were designed to make, I think except for the last one by the scribe, the rest of them were made, the questions were asked to make Jesus look foolish or make him get stuck in the mud as such. And each time they were trying to prove that, I mean, think about this, they were trying to prove that Jesus was ignorant of the Word of God. He is the Word of God. And that's what they were trying to do is prove that He was ignorant. They're the ignorant individuals. And they're trying to, everything in their power to unmask Jesus, trying to prove that he's an imposter. Well, you can't take any mask off Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. He is the Son of God. There's no difference. And after answering all their questions, he puts, he puts them to shame in the face of the people. Then he asks them a question. And the question was designed to, the focus, uh, all the, to get the focus or attention of the scribes, the Pharisees, on the person of the Messiah. When Jesus responded to that scribe, uh, in verse uh, 
29 to 31, he, he responds and asks the question of, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus compliments the man for his understanding. He says, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. That's what he says in verse number 34. Now, there would have been a lot of people around when Jesus said that to that scribe. I'm pretty sure there was other scribes and maybe even Pharisees in that crowd that said, hey, we don't have this recorded in Scripture, so this is extra biblical, but we know human nature, right? Do we know human nature? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're human. We know the nature of it. I don't doubt for a second there was other uh, scribes and Pharisees there thinking, if Jesus is telling that guy he's not far, I believe the same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm on the same path. What more could I possibly need to be saved? I mean, I'm sure there's some guys saying, oh, well, I'm better than that scribe. I'm, I'm in. And Jesus asked this question to really show them, hey, who, who is Jesus? Well, the question of identity. Jesus asked them, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? Every Jew believed that the Messiah or the Christ would be the descendant of King David. And it's in the Word of God. They believed rightly there. They believed that Christ would be a great military leader who would deliver Israel from those who oppressed them. They believed that Christ would be a great king. They were right in that, but they didn't go far enough. He's the great king, amen? He's going to return and He's going to rule and reign. He will be the king of this world. He will sit on a throne. Yes, but they didn't go far enough. When Jesus used the word Christ... He's implying that the Messiah would be more than a man. More than a man. The Jews were looking for a human being, and Jesus is about to show them that Messiah would, will be human, but He would also be God. And they weren't ready for that truth. They weren't ready to absorb that. So Jesus confronts them about their beliefs concerning the nature and the identity of the Messiah. You know, most people in our world today... They're kind of like the scribes and the Pharisees. They will believe the Bible stories about Jesus. Even though they don't believe in Jesus, they believe the stories. Hey, we just celebrated Christmas. I didn't meet anybody over Christmas who got my face about, no, Jesus wasn't born. Now, I know it probably wasn't December 24th, but that's when we celebrated. I understand. But no one gets in my face about that. And we and people know about it. The, the, the lovely images of the baby, the manger. and They enjoy reading about Him feeding the multitudes, healing the sick preaching the sermons, you know, calming the waters on the lake. That was amazing. Uh, raising the dead to life. Even the story of His death, burial, and resurrection that we're going to celebrate in Easter. They, they believe or they, they acknowledge it. But most people in our culture cannot grasp the truth that Jesus Christ is more than a baby in a manger. Or a man who got himself crucified on the cross. They can't get the truth that he is God in human flesh. They can't get their minds around the truth that he is the only way to God. He is the only way. He is the only hope of salvation today. And any day of the year. And for the rest of life. He is the only hope of salvation. People will go so far but they often won't go far enough. They'll say, yeah, I believe. Yeah. But they don't trust in Jesus Christ. There's a difference, right? Now, I know, I believe, I know He is. Hey, listen, the, the devils know that He is Lord, but they don't believe in Him. 
You know, the reality is they need to go further than just saying, yeah, I acknowledge. You know, not far enough is a dangerous place to be. Not going far enough, not far, you know, is a dangerous place when it comes to anything. Not far. I can remember, uh, my dad had a, I guess it was a 24 foot, like a bay cruiser type boat. You know, he had a, a kitchen in the bottom of the boat and it had a cabin. Uh, you know, we could get up on the top and you could take the, uh, the top down and you get the sun on you or you put the top on and be out of the elements and stuff. And we went out on, on Deer Lake. It was a big lake and we were trolling around. <clears throat> Whenever you get in the boat with gas, you need to make sure there's enough gas in it. Just a hint, okay? We got on that boat and we went scooting around and, you know, a bunch of fellas in a boat, you always go too fast. That means you're burning more gas. And we're coming back to where our house was, was on the river. We had a little dock and things. And we ran out of gas. In a 24-foot, you know, just think of a bigger boat. It's not like a canoe where you can get the paddle out and you'll get there in no time. You know, and we ran out of gas. We weren't far, but we were too far away. You know, we were, and we did get the oars out, and, you know, and man, we weren't going anywhere. And the Lord relaxed to let that engine start, and we scooted right in. You know, it, it was great. But the idea is that not far is too far away, folks. You need to get right with Jesus. Don't be just a little far. Be right there. Uh, like the scribe here, some people in this room, I'm, I'm, maybe, I'm not sure. I don't know everyone's heart. But there's a good chance that a crowd this size of someone in this room, like that scribe, is not far from the kingdom of God. Don't, don't stay there. You know, you know what not far means? You're still lost. You're not saved. You're, you're not safe within the arms of Jesus. Not far is, is not where you need to stay. Aren't you glad? And I'm certainly glad I'm not still not far off in my dad's boat. You know, I'm glad we got to shore. I'm glad we got to the dock. You know, the reality is we need to get there. You need to come to Jesus and call upon Him for salvation. He is the only way to God. He is your only hope of salvation. He is the only door to eternal life. He's the only one. There's no other way. And I know there's lots of religions and there's denominations and other things out there that would say, oh, there's all kinds of way to heaven. Folks, according to the Word of God, and we believe the Word of God, there's only one way. There's only one way. And that's through Jesus Christ. As the Jews confront these, or sorry, as Jesus confronts these men, He asks them about Psalm 110 verse 1. The verse acknowledged by all Jews to be a reference to the coming Messiah. That's verse number 36. And Jesus points out that careful reading of this verse reveals the truth that the Messiah would be more than a man. And so the word Lord here, so verse 36, David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Set thou my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. The word Lord here, the first one means Yahweh. In this verse and in the Hebrew. And then the second one is Adonai. And the idea in this verse is the Lord Yahweh said to my David, David's Lord, Adonai. In other words, David addressing the Messiah as his Lord. Listen, all the Jews looked at David as the greatest king they ever had. And he truly was. He was a great king. But the king, the great king himself, is looking to the Messiah as his Lord. He's my Lord. And... What's being implied here is clear. The Messiah is to be a man, but He's more than a man. He's to be God as well. 
Jesus is very clearly teaching the deity of the Messiah. When David speaks under inspiration, the Holy Spirit said, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. He was placing Messiah in a position of authority as co-equal with Almighty God. And the word sit is the idea of continuously sitting. To stay there. God will elevate the Messiah to the place that He deserves next to Him. That's found in Philippians 2, uh, 2 verses 9 through 11. Messiah must be God because He'll be positioned to be absolutely equal in, with God in His honor and His power and His glory. David therefore called Him Lord and whence is He then His Son? Now, in that society, in that time period, a father would never call his son Lord. A father never rendered that kind of honor to a child. Children were considered property and never, ever considered uh, to be superior, let alone equal, never superior to their fathers. Yet David looks at this one who is to be his son, right? He comes from the heritage, you know, the line of King David, his son, and David calls him Lord. You know, it's, it's sometimes it's good to sit back and kind of understand and, and allow the Word of God to infiltrate your heart and, and understand the time period because we live in a day of such dishonor where there is not much honor for authority. And understand that David is showing great honor. He's showing great respect. This declaration that the Messiah is to be more than God, He's going to be God-man. When the Jews heard this, they were, I think they were more than a little bit dumbfounded. They had no answer. We don't have any answer from the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, anybody. They didn't say anything. This unlearned carpenter had put them to shame in the very area where they were supposed to be the experts. Jesus had interpreted the Scriptures accurately, clearly, and they could not refute it. He was, He is the Son of God. He hasn't changed, amen? Our Jesus has not changed. You know, uh, it's, have you ever met some? I was talking to someone recently about, you know, you get to know something a little bit, and then you're dangerous that information. You know, uh, I've heard people say, he knows enough to be dangerous with it. Now, these men did not understand everything from the Word of God. They were dangerous with the Word of God. They weren't being true to it. Jesus comes to the situation and He lays out the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen? It's Jesus is the truth. And that's what our world needs to hear about is Jesus. You can't refute Jesus. You Hey, you can decide not to believe in Him. And you're going to choose to oppose Him. And you can choose to uh, hurt those who believe in Jesus, but that does not change who Jesus is. He's still the Son of God. And He's still going to rule and reign this world. What these Jews did not want to see, much less acknowledge, was that Jesus was clearly claiming to be the Messiah. In fact, He had proven it, His identity time and time again. Hey, we've gone through the book of Mark for a while and we see time and time again, Jesus has proven it. He's proven it. He's proven it. Time and time and time again. Now, we looked at a while ago His uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus arrived 
as predicted by the prophet Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 27 talked about how he would enter, as well as Zechariah 9, 9. He arrived in the precise way that the prophet Zechariah said that Messiah would come. That's proof. Listen, those men would have access to that scripture. They knew about it. But they put it aside because they don't want to believe. His word proved his identity. Everyone who heard him speak was awestruck by what they heard. Matthew 7.29 says, For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And all bear him witness, Luke 4.22, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Hey, last week we talked about, or a couple weeks ago, we talked about Joseph and, and how he was just a carpenter. And these men knew where, who Jesus was and what home he grew up in, and he was a carpenter. How could he know such things? His work proved his identity. Jesus had proven that he was the Messiah. Again, on so many occasions, he met all the Old Testament prophecies. He exceeded them that, and, and all the predictions of his coming. He preceded them all. You know, for the record, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is. And you go, you look in the genealogies of both Matthew and Luke, and you can see that Jesus was a direct descendant of David. He was aligned to be the next king of Israel. Right? That's how it works, right? You, you trace your heritage back to the king. If, if you're of the, the line of the king, you're, you're the next king. On dozens of occasions, Jesus was called the son of David. People were aware of his background. They were aware of the descendants of the genealogies. By the common man, they said that. Jesus was the son of David. Jesus Christ was a man. And Evans proves it. He had a human mother. We looked at that at Christmas time, right? Mary was there. He grew up. You know, we, we looked at the wise men coming a couple weeks ago, and he was no longer in the manger, right? He was in a house by then, and he was growing as a child. He prayed. Numerous times in the New Testament we see where he prayed. He was tempted. Matthew 4, 1 says, Then was Jesus led up by the, of the Spirit of, into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And at the same passage, we see that he hungered and that he thirsted. Aren't these all things that you have felt as a human, right? You've, you all have. Uh, we uh, so glad to uh, see the Tyson, a lot of the Tyson kids here today. You know, what, I mean, there's one guy who left that was a lot shorter when he left, but he's here and he's as tall. Now, as tall as me is no great feat, but you know what I'm saying? Like he's grown, right? And that's just life. It's human nature. It's what it's supposed to be. It indicates our human flesh. He slept. We all, I hope we all got lots of sleep over Christmas holidays. Enjoyed it. Hey, there's times when Jesus was angry. You know, not too long ago, we looked at Mark, where he came into the temple. He was angry. He overthrew the, ta- the tables because these guys were merchants of wickedness and trying to steal from the people. He was angry. He was grieved. You know, Jesus wept. You know, as he went to that grave of Lazarus, Lazarus was a friend. And he stood there and he wept. We've done that this Christmas season too. We've wept for those who have passed on. Not lost, amen. We'll see him again. 
Praise the Lord for heaven. Well, he wept. We know that emotion. We have felt that in our heart. He died. He was buried. Well, Jesus was a man. He was also God. When Jesus came into this world, He was God born as a man. And, and I understand that. It's hard to understand all that. And sometimes you start thinking about it and your, your mind, your, you start getting a headache because you can't understand how can that work. But you have to trust by the faith. It's faith that you believe. And it's clear teaching the Word of God. Uh, John 1, 1, uh, Philippians 2, 5 and 8. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And we see that in Jesus' ministry here on earth. That He has all power. He has power over disease. I think of the lepers. You know, so many lepers came to Jesus asking for healing. Lord, help us. Master, help us. Uh, Rabbi, help us. Whatever word they use to get His attention. and Help me! Help me! And Jesus said a word or did an action or whatever, forgave them of their sins, and they were healed. He didn't go to His lab and come up with some concoction to give to these individuals. He said a word and it was gone. You know, I know I've used this illustration numerous times, but I just want to use it again. You know, you know, the kids tip over the toy box and you say, hey, clean that up. Well, it doesn't get cleaned up until they show up, right? And do the work. Jesus said, you know, said the word to the disease and it's gone and the person's healed. It's amazing the power of our Lord, folks. It's unbelievable. He's all, he's, he has all power over Satan, over sin. You know, the traditions of men have no power on God and our Lord. He had all power over physical death. He rose from the dead. He's omniscient. He knows all. Jesus ministered to so many people, right, in His time. Helped so many people. Tried to encourage them, show them the truth. And there was times when there was thousands, tens of thousands, listening to Him preach. Right? Tens of thousands. And then there was one day when he stood all alone. Who likes to be all alone? When there's trouble and trial and suffering. No one. He knew the fickleness of the people. Even though they said, oh, how great you are, and they had laid down the palm leaves when he came in, now he was in the court of Pilate. All alone. He knew the problems of his disciples, that they would abandon him as well. He received worship from the angels, from the wise men, from lepers, from Jewish rulers, from a heartbroken mother in Matthew chapter 15. Now, I don't know if there is a Playbacks place in heaven where you can like watch the Bible unfold. There's no evidence of that in the Bible. I mean, it would, I mean, I don't know how it's all going to work when we get there and if we see all that or whatever, but you know what? If there is such a place, I really want to see that maniac of Kadera come and worship Jesus. I mean, he was ruined by demons. I mean, he just cut himself. It was horrible. It was shameful. 
And then when Jesus came, he was changed. Oh man, I love, I love saying that. When Jesus comes, things change. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, things change. And he was changed. And I, I want to see that if it's, if it's possible, I don't know. But see him worship the Lord. The worship from the man born blind, worshiping the Lord. He forgives sins. Aren't you so glad he forgives sins? And when Jesus saw their faith, he said in the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. He possesses all authority. He is the source of life itself. He's the creator of all things. Now, I've been blessed to have been able to travel in numerous places around the world and see, I think in British Columbia, the big mountains. I mean, they're massive. They're, they're just so awe-inspiring. I've been on the prairies. Not so inspiring because you can see your dog run away for days. But, you know, it's still beautiful. It's still amazing. The big rivers, you know, and the lakes and the oceans. There's so many. Creation's amazing. It didn't happen by a bang. It happened because the Lord said so. You know, He alone can meet all our needs. The Lord Jesus proved who He was. He fulfilled every prophecy related to the coming of the Messiah. He preached the Gospel. He was clearly who He claimed to be. Have you ever met someone... They put on, and you're not quite sure if that's really them. I've met a few characters like that in my time. You know, I remember this one time. Hey, I'm just, I'm being honest with you. I mean, I could be taken just like the next person, okay? I could be fooled. I remember this one time, and in Deer Lake, Deer Lake is a, a hub on the west coast there, so lots of people going through, traveling, you know, a bit of transient people going through. And I remember this one time, this guy coming to me and asking for some money, and we talked for a while, and he put on a good show. I'm going to be totally honest with you. He had me fooled. So I didn't give him very much money. I think it was like 20 bucks he needed to get somewhere. And about, you know, six months later, he showed up again. And we started talking. I'm like, I thought you told me you were going to this place. And he said, yeah, yeah, I decided to change my mind and I'm coming back through and I need another, I need some money. I'm like, what do you need money again for? He goes, I'm trying to raise money to get an airline ticket to Toronto. I'm like, good luck. No, real pastor's heart there, right? You fooled me once. You're not doing it again. All right? Uh, and uh, the reality is there's times when people will fool us. They'll put us on a show. Hey, what you see with Jesus is exactly who He is. He's exactly who He is. There's no changing who He is. He's clearly who He claimed. And yet, the Jews refuse to accept Him. They refuse to acknowledge Him as their Messiah. And you know, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And the result of the rejection for Israel, I mean, obviously the Jewish people, the vast majority rejected, there were some who did, but their judgment was to come as, as a nation. They refused to accept God as Messiah, Jesus Christ, and God rejected them. And Israel was given over to uh, uh, pagan governments, and they received punishment. You know, it wasn't long after Jerusalem wasn't looking like the Jerusalem that Jesus walked through. There's times in, in the Scripture that we see Jesus crying over Jerusalem because He knew what was to come. Verse uh, 37, the latter part. 
And the common people heard him gladly. What they were most glad about, I believe, was the fact that he put the scribes and the Pharisees in their place. Because I, I don't think that this pompous attitude and arrogant attitude that they see demonstrating towards Christ was just towards Christ. I believe they did that to everybody they met. And if we're going to be honest in our flesh, when there's someone who's pompous and arrogant and someone comes along and refutes them, we're all like, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. But in our hearts, we're like, yes! Time someone take that guy down a peg. We probably have used that term. Take him down a peg or two. Way to go. And I think that these individuals, the common people, loved it that Jesus shut them down. They loved that, but they truly didn't love Jesus. They truly didn't love Him. You know why I say that? But before the week was over, the same people who said they would... uh, who gladly heard Him. Crucify Him! Crucify Him! These are the same people. It wasn't just the Pharisees and the scribes who called for that. You read the Scriptures, you see the multitude. And the common people are part of the multitude. They followed the steps of the leaders. They followed and rejected the Messiah. Israel had all the evidences they need to believe on Jesus. They had all the Old Testament prophecies that had fulfilled, had been fulfilled to the letter. They had the proof in the temple records that Jesus was a descendant of King David. They kept immaculate, immaculate, uh, uh, records of that kind of stuff. They could have checked it up themselves. They had all the evidence. But they didn't. And not only did they have the evidence in written word, they had evidence with people who were living. They had the people that were sick that now were well. The blind man who's now walking into the temple without a cane and without help or looking for alms. The deaf who could hear, who maybe now were singing in the choir. Those who had been possessed by the demons. Now they were in the city. Now they were preaching the same message or whatever the case was. And most amazingly, Lazarus was walking around. He was dead a little while ago. The dead were raised to life. Some. The Jews, religious Jews, ignored all that evidence because Jesus was not like they imagined the Messiah to be. They were expecting someone like themselves. They were expecting a self-righteous, religious man who was arrogant and that would think and act like they would. And that would be a military man who would come and deliver them from Rome. When Jesus showed up, He was none of those things. So they said, no, we won't have you. You know, we can sit here so many thousands of years later and say, boy, that was really bad. How could you do that? And it was bad. And how could they do that? Well, the reality is, there's people in our world today doing the exact same thing, and we have even more evidence. We have the complete Word of God. Amen? I get up in the morning, and I don't have to worry that I'm missing something. I have the written Word of God preserved for me. And it's for you. It's for all men. And we can take it. We can read it. We can understand what God has for us. We can read the Old Testament. We can read the New Testament. We can see the prophecies. 
We can read of them, and then we can read in the New Testament where they were fulfilled. We can look around us. We can look around this room today and know of people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. Hey folks, your testimony is important. Don't ever let anyone say, well, it doesn't matter. Yes, you matter to Jesus. Tell what the Lord has done for you. Hey, they can't refute how Jesus has changed your life. They can't say that's not true. No, I know it's true because He's changed me. I'm not head the same way I was before. Look around us and see lives changed by the amazing grace of our God. Some have believed the truth. And we understood that we were a sinner, that we were lost, and on our own we couldn't get there. And then we repented of our sin when we trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And man, we have seen what the Lord has done, and it's been amazing. And sometimes as believers, we kind of downplay how amazing our God is, and that's shame on us for doing that. Because our God's amazing. I understand that we look around our world today and there's all kinds of glitter and fancy lights and this and that. Hey, go to the gutter and see what's happening. See where the people have lost their families because of sin. And they've lost everything because of addiction. They've lost it all. And we have Jesus. Uh, Don't ever get fooled by the world. I mean, I know we're, we're human and flesh and we can't be deceived. But constantly remind yourself of what the Lord has done for you. And He has done above exceedingly above all that we ask or think. You might say, well, Pastor, I don't have this and I don't have that. But you have Jesus. Keep it in perspective. And guess where you're going when you take this last breath, when you've accepted Jesus Christ. You've done that. You know you were lost. And you you asked for forgiveness of your sin. You repented of it and trusted in Jesus. And look where you're going. Heaven for eternity. Keep it in perspective. Been saved by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Forgiven, our sins are forgiven. You know, we, we're commanding the Word of God like, to be like Christ, right? We're Christians, like little Christ. You know, the idea is that we're trying to be examples of Christ. Aren't you so glad that when you ask Christ to forgive your sins, He forgives them and He forgets them? Because it's so hard. Let's just be really honest, folks. When someone's done a harm to you, it's so hard to forget. Because it hurts. And I'm sure that all the sin I ever committed has done that same thing to the heart of Jesus Christ. has hurt Him. But I ask for forgiveness and He forgets. Wow! What a Savior! What an amazing Messiah. What? Well, I don't deserve that. No one does. We're adopted into God's family. I, I can remember uh, going to Bible college over at Faithway. And I moved up. I didn't really... I don't know if I had any uncles or aunts that lived in... Uh, a little bit after I started Bible college, an aunt and uncle moved to uh, Whitby. But when I first started, I had no family. And uh, where I'm from, Newfoundland, I mean, family's a big deal. You know, you're always around with family. You're always kicking around, as my dad would say. You're always kicking the can with the family. You're always hanging out. And we had large extended family, lots of cousins. We're always doing stuff. And I remember when I came to Bible College, and, man, I really, I really felt a little bit out of place. You know, and I can remember some, uh, one family in particular, the Bowlers, they just took me in as their own. 
They'd take me out to Swiss Chalet. They'd buy me birthday gifts. And they just loved on me. And I'm like, I don't deserve that. I mean, and this is what, 20 years later? And I still thank them for how they adopted me into their family. I don't get Christmas gifts anymore. I got to talk to them about that. But anyway, uh, the reality is they just adopted me in. I didn't deserve it. And I love that family. But the reality is the family of God is so much greater. I always believe as a, a church family, we need to be helping people, showing them love. But you need to be in God's family first, amen, adopted into His family. You know, I've been changed by the power of God. And if you know Christ as your Savior, you have been too. You know, and then this week, last past couple of weeks, you know, the Lord has called some people from our church home. And in every one, there's been references of John 4 or 14, 1 to 3 about how God is preparing a place and He'll call us unto, he'll call us unto Him. He's preparing a place for us. So when I take my final breath, I would really rather, pre- my, my preference is that He'll call me home in the rapture. But if not, I know where I'm going. I know I have a place secure with Him. Others have yet to believe all the evidence that I've laid out and it's in the Word of God. They continue in their unbelief. These people will eventually have to face the consequences if they refuse it. If they refuse it. They'll have to acknowledge that one day before the Lord, before the judge. Every one of us will give account before the Lord. Romans 4.12 And if they have not received eternal salvation, if they have not accepted Christ as their Savior, they will receive eternal condemnation They do in a place called hell. Friends, the question of who Jesus is, is Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. He came. He was the Lamb, perfect Lamb of God. He has provided salvation. That's who Jesus is. So the question for you is, have you accepted Him? Now, I'm not asking if you believe that Jesus lived. You know, there's all kinds of religions that believe that Jesus lived. My next door neighbor is a Muslim. He goes, oh yeah, Jesus was was a good guy. I'm like, Jesus is so much more than a good guy, my friend. He's the Son of God. So the question is, where are you? Have you accepted Him? And in Christian, are you thankful? As you begin this new year, are you thankful for what the Lord has done? I'm not talking about the, about the Christmas gifts. When if you got some good ones, great. Let me know. I'll rejoice with you. I'm not talking about the physical. I'm talking about the spiritual blessings. And there's no doubt that the blessings of God go into the physical as well. But don't forget the blessings that you have in Jesus Christ. Now don't, don't let that get washed away. Don't, don't let that get deteriorated in your mind. Don't let it get corrupted in your mind. Hey, you got some great things in Jesus. Serve Him. Use your days for Him.